Hey friends, Stephanie here. Welcome back to another HexDevs episode. Before we go to the episode, we want to thank Nate Berkupek for joining us on this episode about building thread-safe Ruby code. As some of you might know, we help out at Faker Ruby, and we had an open issue that was related to thread safety, and we were not quite sure how to fix that bug. So we sent a message to Nate and he kindly accepted the invite. And not only did he help us understand the issue, how to fix it, but he also gave us a lesson on building thread safe Ruby code. Something else that we want to share is that this episode and actually all of our episodes are sponsored by Get You Senior, a program that we developed to help experienced Ruby developers take their careers to the next level. And we also have our GitHub sponsor page. We have two sponsors, Valentino Stoll and Greg P, who have been supporting us. So thank you. And if you, dear listener, wants to sponsor our work, go to hackstaffs.com slash senior or to our GitHub page to see our sponsor page. This is the HexDevs podcast. I'm Thiago. And I'm Stephanie. Today, our guest is Nate Berkopek. Nate makes Rails apps go faster. He's an expert in Ruby on Rails performance, and he runs a company called SpeedShop, a software performance company specializing in Ruby. He is the maintainer of Puma, one of the most popular Ruby web servers out there, and he's also the author of the book, The Complete Guide to Rails Performance. Thank you so much for joining us, Nate. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, we just gave Nate some homework to do. <laughs> we sent him an email. <laughs> yeah, what the heck, yeah. man? I thought this was a podcast, not like a class I had to go take. <laughs> well, we had a, an issue that was open on Faker about Faker not being thread safe. So we didn't know exactly what to do, how to solve the issue. And we thought it would be a great opportunity to bring Nate, who's an expert in all of that, to talk more about why Faker is not thread safe. And then we could also use this example to understand more how to build thread safe Ruby apps. So thank you so much, Nate. And sorry to (laughs) give you homework. Yeah, so I would like to get started with a heads up about what caught your attention about the issue. Why is Faker not thread safe? Yeah, so you you brought me in uh, and sent me this link to this report. So this was actually after you thought you had fixed the thread safety issue on Faker. And so... Basically in Faker, so if you're not familiar with Faker, Faker is like this extremely commonly used gem for uh, generating fake data, usually in tests. So you can like ask for last names, first names, like all it's just like anything you can think of. Faker can pretty much generate a random version of it, right? So mm-hmm. Faker also works with locales. So you can have you know, Japanese data, English data, 
whatever, right? So you need to tell it what locale it, it, it's going to generate that data for. So there is a setting and that uh, locale setting, uh, I think has always been, I don't think this was changed ever, faker colon colon config dot locale equals. Okay, so that was how you set it. You set that to a, a symbol, I believe. You would set it to, you know, en-gb or, or ja or whatever your, your locale is. So there was a, a PR for two, included in 2.23, which changed how this worked. And originally, and this was your PR, Tiago, right? Like the, the PR that I'm about to describe that changed, or is it not? No, I just approved it. Oh, you just approved I, it. Okay. Yeah, I'm I did the it. review and then I'm pretty sure someone else worked on that. Yeah, okay. yeah it was someone else, but I gave my thumbs up. It's still up. your fault. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> all, it's everybody's it's fault. It's a blame the reviewer. Um, so the way that this originally worked was Faker config, the module, had a uh, locale class variable. So you would set the class variable with locale equals, and you would read it with locale, right? So that works, that's fine. You know, it means that all threads and everything, like if you create a new thread, it's still gonna read that same value, right? So that, that all works, but if more than one thread tries to write that value, we start to have problems, right? So, somebody basically made an issue that was like, I use Faker in QA. And in QA, we're sending different requests that have different locales. And so the Faker data, uh, Faker is like setting the locale in one thread and then being that a different thread is reading that locale, which has now been overwritten. And we don't want that to happen. So basically the request was that Faker should be thread safe. But to, to, to rephrase this as more of like a story, the desired behavior is, and you can correct me, this is what I'm a little unclear on, so you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this. I think the desired behavior is that we should set a default locale uh, in, in configuration, like when we start the app. And if we don't say anything else, this will, this will be the default locale. And then threads should be able to, in a thread safe way, change the locale on a per thread basis. Okay. So you could, you know, if this, if this was, if, if this feature was available, you could in Puma or any other multi-threaded web server, you could set the locale in a maybe rack middleware or something. I don't know, like in a before act in a around action in rails, you would change the locale in faker and then do whatever work you wanted to do it, you know, run the rest of the action. And then in an insurer block, you would say, set the locale back to what it was before. And um, that would be how you could change that locale. And then you then you could have like per request locales in a thread safe way. That is that is that correct? That sounds that sounded like the desired behavior to me. Yeah, that's the desired behavior. I think we had that before, but it wasn't thread safe. And then someone wanted to have different threads and not have one overriding the locale on the other thread. And then that was fixed. But then the other person said, hey, but then you fixed my setup now where I run this, I guess, in production, I think. Mm -hmm. Someone else runs it in production. And now if I use Faker in production and I set the locale, it only exists like 
in one of the requests and then the others don't don't see that anymore and so it's right. kind of like one fix broke someone else's setup and then we have to fix both things now <laughs> right so the 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 change that was made to try to implement this story was that uh locale is no longer just uh, an at a class attribute um or a class uh, instance class variable it is a uh it sets thread dot current uh open bracket faker config locale close bracket and we're re so we're, we're writing and reading thread dot current some thread well we thought it was a thread variable and then you you know you learn later in the issue is people read the docs it's actually fiber local so that was the change the instance the the locale instance oh, i keep saying instance it's not a in class instance variable it's a class variable that that class variable locale was removed was completely removed and there's some other stuff in here which i actually haven't looked at there you have some other like thread dot current use like you you've removed basically several class variables replace them with thread dot current is kind of the theme here uh locale like this locale setting is kind of the one i'm just going to talk about it because it's the one i looked at and it's it's a good example of everything else here so then the bug report comes in and then this person's like this broke something else for me so uh you set up a rails app in puma or other threaded web server you set faker dot faker config dot locale and initializer make a request and then you get the fake data for the default locale for faker which is en so the the faker config.locale setting broke for all puma users using more than one thread um or actually i think it should be any thread at all so basically it broke it for puma completely so let's talk about why that happened because i think if you understand why this happened then like the fix here becomes more obvious so how puma works so Puma, when it starts up, it has one process and one thread to when it starts uh, when it starts itself. And depending on the uh, mode you have it set to, it may or may not start other processes. But the important thing here is that when Puma processes requests, it sends the request into what we call the um, our thread pool, which has a different name uh, in pool. No, I guess we just call it the thread pool. Yeah, so it's the Puma thread pool. And um, that thread pool has anywhere from one to X number of threads where you know you set it to whatever you want. So the application request is always processed in a different thread than the thread that Puma was started with. So we uh, start the Puma server, we initialize your application, run all the initializers, and then we create the threads for the thread pool. Okay, so that timing is important here because the initializer is run before we create the app, uh, app application threads that, that actually run the, the application requests. So that faker config.locale is called before those uh, thread pool threads are created behavior of thread.current and uh, sorry not thread.current but the this is the bracket method on on a thread instance you uh, instance method uh on a thread you could say so this is accessing thread no <laughs> fiber local variables as as uh the documentation points out so um in case you don't know all threads have fibers 
fibers are lower level concurrency unit than a thread. So um, all processes have at least one thread and all threads have at least one fiber in Ruby, okay? So some Puma doesn't do this. And uh, your application might create new threads, but uh, or sorry, create new fibers, I should say, but Puma doesn't actually create new fibers. So for our purposes in this conversation, it's it's a, there are no, like a thread, it is a thread uh, variable because there's only, we don't we don't have multiple fibers here. So so the thing is is like when you create these these fiber local variables with uh, the bracket method, they're not inherited. So there's a really great reproduction in this issue um, when you scroll down a bit where someone made like the minimally the minimally uh, required reproduction and all they did was set the fiber uh, in the current thread, set the uh, faker locale, then create a new thread inside of that thread, set it again, and then try to read what that was. And uh, it was it reproduced the bug in 10 lines of code. Really, really, first of all, as an open source maintainer, that's exactly what we want to read, right? We want to read the 10 line reproduction. It's perfect. So good job to that person that wrote that. So these 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 variables are not inherited. So like Puma creates the, the uh, thread pool to run your, like the threads that actually run the app. And now this locale fiber variable is no longer set. So it goes back to the default value of, of English. So that was the, that was the source of the bug here. So is that all, does that all make sense? I've been talking a lot now I'm, I'm done talking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that was Mateus. Uh, he has been helping a lot with, with this issue. Cause I, I am learning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious to know about, because you mentioned that the fiber local variable is not inherited right. by the other threads. Mm -hmm. But then if we talk about the class variable, right? if I set that class variable on the initializer, it right. would be available to all the other threads. Is that yes. how it works? Yes. Yep. And this is like, uh, this is kind of the uh to me like the uh fine-grained part of this issue is like when it comes to thread safety it's just like people are like okay we got to get rid of all shared mutable state shared mutable state is bad get rid of it and that's like what the pr did right it, like it nuked the shared mutable state no more class variables don't do it but like you actually do want shared mutable state in this story like you want to be able to change the locale for all threads at a particular point in time, right? You want to do that during initialization when there are, when, when you know there aren't multiple threads probably trying to read this value and do stuff with it. Like there's not like you, you want to do that during a time when it's probably safe to do it. And then later you want the uh, private state, you want thread private state, right? So it's kind of like, uh, a little bit complicated there where like you want both things, right? Like you want to be able to override this value for all threads. You just want to be able to do it at a particular time. Um, so the original PR was uh, thread safe, but just also didn't work. <laughs> so you, you, you gain thread safety while breaking the feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that maybe thread safety is not always the, the goal. 
depending on your feature maybe mm. you want to be able to share state between threads and maybe if you want to mutate that global state then you have to worry about thread safety and how you you would approach that but in this case you broke the feature by doing that right which is kind of interesting <laughs> yes and, and sometimes it's also a little bit complicated here because you you also don't in this story right you don't actually really care about the thread safety of setting this locale for all threads like you could write this in such a way that like the class variable is is that access and and reading is thread safe so like we could use um something from concurrent ruby for example it's a library a ruby gem that's used in rails and um, we could set this up so that it's thread safe to change the locale for all threads but you don't really actually care about that because the only time you're going to do that is during app initialization and so or we could write our own thing with a mutex or whatever to do this but you don't really actually care about the thread safety there because that happens during initialization where there's, where there's only one thread running anyway so like you could add that to like you know check all your thread safety boxes here but what you really wanted was like private thread state like you want to be able to change this value on a per thread basis and not have not have it affect other threads okay so that's like to me that's like a little bit different than thread safety there's a there's a thread safe way to to implement this that would still not satisfy the story if we just took the original behavior of the locale class variable and made that access um thread safe what would happen is is every every request would change the locale for all other running requests so like in the middle of a uh halfway through a rendering a response the faker locale could be changing because other threads are changing that locale value that you don't want that right like you don't want global state you want per thread state so like thread safety is more complicated than just it is thread safe or not depending on what uh behavior you desire yeah and i also think it's really easy to create those bugs because i don't think of course, most yeah. of us are aware of those details um, i think in general this doesn't happen in application development because most of this it's just like very uncommon to need to write or need to use class variables for example so the common sources of of thread safety issues generally you don't reach for these like tools that cause these problems in application development but it does happen all the time in library development so the most common causes of thread safety issues are class variables global variables which used to be a thing that people did but i don't know mostly people don't even reach for them anymore and just use constants um constants and uh, rack middleware so those three things of those three things really constants is the only thing i see people making mistakes with in application development but when you're doing libraries class variables and in rack middleware it's very common to have those those things and so you can really you need to know more about thread safety when you're when you're writing libraries i think than than writing rails applications for example mm -hmm. for sure i'm curious about the cases you mentioned about like constants that being a problem is that because people try to modify 
the value of a constant yes. at runtime. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like um, setting a constant to like a collection, like a, a an array or a hash, those accesses are not uh, thread safe. Even uh, Samuel Williams, the maintainer of, of uh, uh, Falcon, the web server, has, has also had this demo where he's shown that hash access is not uh, thread safe in that hash just ha hash access and write is not thread safe. And you can even like corrupt the hash, uh, end up with all these crazy behaviors. So yeah, setting constants to collections and then modifying those collections. So there, there was like a trend, uh, I don't know, like two years ago, no more than that. I don't know, four or five years ago to like freeze constants and we used to do this mostly as a memory saving measure so like when you freeze an object ruby internally allows everybody everyone that uses that constant can like point to the same object so we used to like just put a lot of things in constants and freeze them uh, now there's like this rubocop rule that tells you to freeze everything you put into a constant and Freezing is nice from a memory usage perspective, but it's even better from a from a uh, thread safety perspective because now you get an error, right? If someone tries to modify the object, the you can still get these problems though with freezing because you can satisfy the Rubocop rule, right, by calling freeze on an array inside of a constant. But if you have a array inside of that array, Rubocop won't say anything, and you still have a thread safety issue because you're modifying this unfrozen array inside of the constant. So anything that's accessible from that constant really can can lead to a thread safety issue. So I, I think I see that issue sometimes in app development where people create um, caches that they want to use. That's kind of the most common thing is they put a cache inside of a constant and then they end up with a thread safety issue there. Or the other one I see is uh, database connections. So if you put a database connection inside of a, a constant, for example, if you just like capital redis equals redis.new the issue you're going to get there is everybody accessing that con accessing that constant is getting the same exact database connection so if you have two threads accessing the same database connection you could end up with issues where one thread gets the response for another thread um so you don't want to do that and uh there's like a lot of gems that help you with this but basically you need to set it up so that each thread is getting its own connection out of the uh connection pool um so those are the most common ones I see in day-to-day -day app development. Yeah, that's interesting. A good rule of thumb, maybe, if you're working with constants and you're trying to do something weird or adding some hashes or arrays to the constant, you got to be careful with what you're doing yeah. or a database yep. connection. Yep. Cool. Mm. And, Nate, since you are talking about those common things that you see happening in, the, in development. Um, is there something that we as developers could change how we see things when we're implementing them? Like, how can we start paying more attention to to those potential thread-safe uh, issues? Because like you mentioned, it's not something that we do it every day. For example, nowadays, I think it's more common for us to know, oh, this is going to have a any plus one query or something like that. So how can we start changing our, our ways of working to also start identifying those those issues? Yeah, my biggest um, recommendation is always to make your tests multi-threaded. 
So uh, if you are using Minitest, um, you can run each test inside of its own thread. It's called Minitest. Oh man, now I'm going to forget. Uh, let me get this. Minitest, because I think, yeah, Parallelize is what it's called. So um, if you require Minitest slash Parallel on a test, uh, or no, include it? Uh, now I'm, I'm not going to remember, but look it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can, you can set up Minitest so it runs each test in a different thread. So that covers your unit tests and makes all your unit tests multi-threaded. Um, so if you're just running mini tests, uh, I suggest turning that on. If you're using RSpec, you're out of luck. Sorry, uh, RSpec isn't multi-threaded, never will be. So you're stuck. Uh, your only option for multi-threaded tests is to convert them to mini test. Um, so, you know, oh, good no. luck. I was gonna um, say, okay, what about RSpec? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for integration and system tests. So system tests start a Puma server or in integration tests can, you know, you can set up to do whatever you want, right? But you should set up your integration test to set up to start a Puma server and run that Puma server with multiple threads. So that will also potentially flush out uh, threading bugs. Now, this is also going to make your your test suite less stable. Like you can't make a threading bug. Usually you can't cause it like hundred percent of the time. So you're going to start getting flakes probably where they're caused by threads. Like we, you can't just like write a test that's like always triggers a, the thread bug most of the time. So, um, it will probably make your test less stable, but like, you know, that's, that's kind of the price you're going to pay here. So that to me, is like the best possible thing is make your test multi-threaded so you are actually testing uh, thread safety. Second thing is like all you can really do is look for those three different sources of, of threading bugs that I talked about anytime you're writing your own rack middleware. So the, the, the thread safety issue here is that um, there is only one rack middleware stack for, for an application, right? So like the objects that are created and for to that actually run your rack middleware, there's only one of those for every application um, or every you know uh, process. So your application runs in different threads, but they're all using the same rack middleware objects. So if you have an instance variable inside of a rack middleware, you can end up with a thread safety issue. The fix here is actually really easy. There is a, a middleware freezer that uh, uh, Samuel Williams wrote called rack-freeze. And it basically ensures that your rack middleware are, are thread safe by freezing all of your instance variables. Um, and so you can't possibly cause a problem and it'll blow up if you try to do th thread unsafe things. So take a look at that for rack middleware. For constants, I think probably everybody should audit constants created in initializers um, for this issue that I talked about. Basically, look, make sure you know what you're putting into constants is not a collection that's going to be modified and is not uh, you know just a straight up database connection. There's for database connections, there's a gem called connection pool. This is uh, I think still maintained by Mike Param. Yeah, so Mike wrote it. I think he wrote it originally anyway, but it's mparam from Sidekick, M-P-E-R-A-M. -E 
H-A-M slash connection underscore pool. This is like a generic connection pooler that works with any uh, underlying database connection gem. So you can get thread safe connection pools that will work with, um, with threads. So you would assign that to a constant instead of uh, just like redis.new. And then for class variables, those are a little bit easier because hopefully you can just find the at at like the at, looking for the at at is like, you know, control F your code base for that. But um, you and the original uh, PR, actually, you had class inherits from self and then it was at locale equals. So like since you can always do that, it's kind of hard to like just grep through a code base for class variable usage. Um, but uh, if you see a file that has a class variable in it, you know, that is shared global mutable state. So, you know, it's only thread unsafe when it someone tries to write to it from multiple threads. So just because these exist doesn't mean I think that you should be replacing them all the time. Often, like one thing that uh, happens is someone needs to write a value to a uh, class variable and then multiple threads want to read that value. If the writer method, if every thread will just write the same thing to the class variable, like initialize like a default value, and then everybody reads the same value after that, it's not really a thread safety issue because every thread is trying to write the same value, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't matter that they could possibly access the, the, the thread uh, variable, at the uh, class variable at the same time because they're going to try to write the same thing. So who cares? So it's like, there can be shared global state without there being a thread safety issue. But I think you have to be aware every time you see a class variable or class instance variable that um, what think about what what is trying to write to this and when is it trying to write to this and could there possibly be an issue there? Yeah, I like the questions to ask before you go out there and try to replace everything. Because this is complicated, I, right? Like, yeah. especially with class <laughs> variables, um, you know, writing the mutex.synchronized stuff, like you've probably never written anything with mutex before, um, you know, pulling something out of concurrent Ruby that you've never used before and using like a, a data structure out of concurrent Ruby, like it's not the easiest thing in the world. So, um, you know, definitely try to avoid it if you can. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, and people smarter than all of us have done that and then made a mistake anyway. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not easy stuff. But maybe one thing that exacerbates the problem is that we are very used to thinking in Ruby is just like it's just one thread, and you don't have to use mm -hmm. other threads or anything like that. Because compared to maybe other languages, when we say, "Oh, in Java, be careful with static variables and." Mm things like that. But in Ruby, we, we don't talk about that a lot, uh, about concurrency, at least, mm. well, at least mm. in Rails. Like, oh, it's just, you don't have to worry too much about that. Request is one thread, and you don't have to worry about those yeah. things. Yeah. But then when you run into those weird bugs, you're not sure what to do. You just you just think, oh, I don't know what that is. I, don't, I have no idea why this is happening. But if you try again, you're not going <laughs> to have the problem. And so I'm curious about what kind what kind of things people can do so that when they run into a weird problem, they can they can point and say, oh, maybe this is a thread safety bug instead of something else. 
So maybe like some strategies or some some oh, characteristics I mean, it's pretty, of bugs. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Like if if every time I hear uh oh one request no the request A got the response for request B. So every time I hear like, oh, someone is getting someone else's responses. And that's obviously a security issue, right? That's always that's, that's kind of how this usually comes up is like, oh no, somebody got authorized to someone else's account because they got someone else's cookie header, something like that, right? So anytime I hear uh, one user A got the response for user B, it's like thread safety issue immediately. So that that's probably the most common one at the application level that I that I hear about. The faker issue specifically, I think maybe you, we kind of all knew because it was like, oh, it was this change or like someone realized it was only in Puma. I guess that's the other, yeah, if, it, if, it, if switching to Unicorn fixes the issue, then you know it's a threat safety issue, right? <laughs> so, because um, in Unicorn, you don't even have, there's no, um, like, for example, so I talked about how Puma starts Essentially, even in the in the in the simplest case, it has to start two threads. It has the thread that starts Puma and boots your app, and then the thread that actually runs the application. Right? Tactically, we're running your application single threaded there. Like the actual uh, every request that comes in to that Puma process will always be processed by the same thread. So yes, like it technically is single threaded, but we kind of have this like thread issue right with faker even in that scenario because that thread variable uh, fiber local variable was not inherited so if moving to puma breaks the <laughs> fix breaks the issue and, and getting off of it fixes it then you know you have a thread safety issue um but yeah i think generally like any issue where state is kind of correct for one person but not correct for someone else and it's flaky and random, uh, then the your your thread safety issue spider sense should be tingling. Yeah, it's not Puma's fault either. It's just the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's your fault. Yeah. Puma's thread safe. You're not. So <laughs> wasn't me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a hard one, and we were like. I think we should ask for someone who knows how to <laughs> fix this issue. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we were not sure. Yeah. And I I think it's also it's something that I want to see more is people saying, uh, well, developers saying that they don't know things right. and they ask right. for help. So yeah. I thought this would be a, a good way to, to do that. Yeah. And like when I started maintaining Puma, I knew nothing. So like <laughs> in 2016, when Evan Phoenix, the original author, like asked me to start maintaining Puma, like I didn't know anything about threads, thread safety or all the other like kind of specific things that Puma needs to run, like um, knowing about sockets, TCP, UDP, like the the deep specifics of HTTP, um, C, C extensions. Like I didn't know any of that when I started maintaining Puma. And uh, now I, I know a lot more. But um, when I started, I didn't know anything. So like we all start not knowing anything. So, um, you know, we're we everyone that you ask 
a question about thread safety or whatever. At one point, they didn't know the answer to that either. So yeah, I don't think you should feel uh, intimidated about asking uh, asking questions like that. And it's also a cool opportunity for contributors. So for example, Mateus, who's taking a look at that issue, he said, oh, I don't know anything about threads, but I'll try to learn something. And then he learned a couple of he things did, yeah. and, and shared. And so yeah. it's just a nice way to to learn more because you don't really have to know before you get started on an issue. And then eventually, if you continue working on that, you, you're going to figure it out. And then we can have nice conversations about that. It's kind of yeah. cool. Yep. And I think um, one thing that I'll bring it up again that Mateus did that was just like really important for that was to get the minimal reproducing case. So when he had that 10 line example that reproduced the issue, that's so important for learning because then you have this little experiment that you can that you can try things on. So you can say, oh, if I change this over here, does that how does that change the behavior in my in my example? Um, if you don't have the minimal reproducible example, it's much more difficult to, to learn because you don't have a little tool that you can change things on and see what happens. So getting to that minimal example was so important, I think, for um, for where he went and the rest of the issue. So um, if I have any advice with that is to like do to, to emulate that behavior to, you know, find try to try to get to the 10 line example that reproduces the problem. Yeah, I love that. It's it's a very underrated way to get started with not only contributing to open source, but I think almost anything related to development, let's say, because you, you get to just try. You're not trying to fix anything. You're just trying to find what is going on. And you Absolutely. learn a lot we, about in, things. In Puma on GitHub, uh, we have a needs repro label, uh, as in needs reproduction. And I put that on any issue where the original poster has not provided a similarly simple example that can just be run and and uh, and reproduced. So um, in Puma, if you'd like to contribute, um, that's one way to do it is you go to the needs repro label and just try to reproduce people's issues. And I can tell you as a maintainer, it's also helpful if you can't reproduce it and you leave a comment and tell us, you're like, hey, I looked at this for three hours. I couldn't reproduce it. That is super helpful for me because now I know, okay, someone tried to do this for three hours and they still couldn't get it. Maybe this is not reproducible. Maybe this isn't actually a problem with Puma. So it's it's really helpful for an open source project to find issues which are not currently don't have a reproducible case and to try to try to find one. So I highly, highly encourage that. Yeah. And and just to emphasize, I don't think, well, I believe I can say that for you, but correct me if I'm wrong, mm. or not say that if you don't know how to reproduce, you can't report the bug. But oh yeah. If right, but if I mean, you, you have a bug, want, right? So yeah. you should report it. <laughs> yeah. So everyone can contribute on their ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, reproducing is really great. I think that's also how we got started with Ruby on Rails. And we actually copied the reproduction script for Faker. Oh, yeah. Which is really, really helpful. Yeah. If uh, if anyone listening is not aware of that, there's a like the, the Rails bug reproduction script is really uh, very good. And I think those are available if you go to like the Rails contributing guide on Rails guides. And then like you kind of go down to the bug report section, you can find the links to all of them. And 
it's really cool. And it'll show you kind of in 30 lines how they set up a Rails app to reproduce an issue in the most minimal way possible, depending on what part of Rails you're reporting the bug to. And it's a really good example of how to make a, a minimal reproducible case, not only for a Rails app, but for really any, any Ruby project. Um, so yeah, I've done the same thing. I've copied that script multiple times. And I guess even at your own job, if you're not contributing or anything, maybe there's a way to use those kinds of scripts to reproduce a bug so you don't have, uh, what is it called again? When you, you don't want the bug to appear again. Ah, regression. regression. Yeah, regressions. Mm -hmm. You don't want regressions. So this is really important. So mm -hmm. add that little test there so you don't have regressions. It's mm -hmm. kind of a cool habit <laughs> sometimes to have. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I think we got to, to the end of it. So we only have 10 minutes left. Is there anything else, Nate, that you would like to share about all the issue, either about the issue or about the conversation we were having? Uh, nope. Um, I would say that uh, if someone listening to this is interested in learning more about working in a multi-threaded environment, um, I do have a product called Sidekick in Practice that has a number of live code examples that talk about thread safety and have other, it's a, intended to be a manual about like how to actually scale Sidekick. And, uh, you know, cause it's Sidekick, uh, there's a lot of things in there about threading and, and um, how threads work in Sidekick, why threads are important. It talks about the global VM lock, which we didn't really discuss at all today. But uh, if, if you are looking to learn more about threads and scaling the threaded environment, um, I do I do sell something to help you with that. So go check it out. Awesome. Absolutely. I It's in my reading list. I really need to get it. I, <laughs> which one should I read first? That one or the Rails, the guide to Rails performance? I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, it just depends on what... Uh, your goal is first they're not they're not um intended like you don't have to read one to read the other so if you're interested in a more general perspective of how do i make a rails app feel faster how do i make it more scalable like that's the complete guide to rails performance if you are specifically having issues with sidekick and uh scaling sidekick i suggest reading that first yeah that would be a nice episode to talk just about sidekick because there are so many things to talk about Sidekick performance. Mm -hmm. We could do yeah. that in the future. <laughs> yeah, like how to log your workers, your scheduled workers, like how to, yeah, uh, yeah. logging Re and debugging and yeah. jobs. Yeah. yeah, I've had a lot of fun. My 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 current client is um, Gusto, which is a huge um, payroll company in the United States, and they've got six hundred plus engineers working on Sidekick. And it's been a really interesting experience to me to see kind of how Sidekick scales like as an organization. So like what 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 happens when 600 engineers all have queues and workers and like that's been a whole new side of Sidekick that I've learned a lot about at uh, Augusto. Yeah, it sounds really exciting work. <laughs> you know, a lot of problems and, and challenges to solve, which is kind of yeah. cool. It's been really fun. Um, yeah, and I think we're supposed to call jobs now and not workers. I'm still getting used to the new terminology. I need to catch up. I think I read something about that. Oh, that's changed? I, sh I feel like I should know that, but I don't. I 
I don't know. I remember seeing a comment about that. Like, instead of being workers. Can you, like, weird. change the folder in Rails or something? Yeah. Yeah, to jobs. I'm not really sure. I have to catch up. I just remember uh, reading about that. And I'm like, oh, I'll probably need to read this some, at some point. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I think we are at the end and I would like to be respectful of your time, Nate, but thank you so, so much. I learned a lot and I know it was a bit of a homework for you, but I hope it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Nice to talk you can, to you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very specific problem with a very specific solution. So it was nice to learn from that. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot. So yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise with us today. Great. Yeah. My pleasure. And, and everyone, make sure to check out Puma and Nate's books on Sidekick and Rails Performance. We will leave the links in the description box. If people want to know what you're doing or want to buy your books or your workshops as well, where should they go? Uh, speedshop.co uh, is where I have links to all that stuff. Awesome. Cool, cool. cool. Thank you, Nate. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nate, for joining us today. And if you've learned something from this episode, please share with a friend and check out our newsletter at hexdevs.com newsletter. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you on the next one.